I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. We're also going to talk about the horrible tragedy overseas this week, the explosion in Beirut, Lebanon, and talk a little bit about our personal ties to Lebanon and our good friend, Imad and Chauncey. We're also going to take a deeper dive into the school systems as students and teachers return to the classrooms after a long summer and returning during a pandemic. And then after our conversation, we're going to be interviewing the executive director for Pastors for Children, Reverend Charles Johnson, and the associate coordinator, Cameron Vickery. So stay tuned for the interview. Autumn, how are things this week? Everything going well in your world? Well, we actually had our first COVID test in our house. So oh, that's sort really? Of top of the headlines at the Lock at Home. Wow. Yep. We, a couple of weeks ago, we sent our little ones back to their little school mm-hmm. um, as we're kind of transitioning into new work-life balance here at the house. And our youngest, who is two, um, was showing a few symptoms. We talked with the pediatrician. They didn't think it was COVID, but I was pretty persistent. And I think that's what a lot of the parents are going to be dealing with. Every sniffle, every stomach ache, every fever or cough that they come home with, you're going to automatically assume they have COVID. Sure. And thankfully, you know, we have access to health care. Our community has done a great job. Mm-hmm. of making tests um, readily available. It's very organized. Um, it wasn't pleasant for her. She was pretty upset to have that swab up her <laughs> right, nose. I can imagine. Uh, we got her some donut holes after, so she was oh, fine. All is better with donut holes. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'm happy to report that within you know less than 24 hours, we heard that her COVID test was negative. So she's feeling much better. Good. Well, that's excellent. Yeah, I've got a uh, uh, an appointment on Monday to get a COVID test. Uh, so does my youngest son. We are actually traveling to New Hampshire next week. Uh, my son is a sophomore at Dartmouth College there, and uh, he's going to be setting out the fall semester. Uh, before he begins school in the winter. Uh, just it was how Dartmouth decided to to offer classes this school year during a pandemic. But we've got to go get his stuff because when he came back from uh, school last f- spring, he left all of his stuff up there. So we've got to figure out how to get his stuff back. But before we go there, uh, he and I are taking a COVID test because we got to fly through Boston, Logan, land in Boston, and then drive up to New Hampshire. And so we want to have that paperwork that we are free and clear. Uh, and so how uh, excited are you to get on a plane and get some driving time? <laughs> I, I know I, you. You I have, have to admit, I'm bug. so, I'm so excited about getting <laughs> on a plane. I, one of the things that I have missed the most during the pandemic has been being out and about. I love to travel. I love to go see people. I love to visit churches, uh, attend these events and meetings, uh, that we're involved in. And I miss it immensely. I just, I really do miss it. So I am looking forward to, uh, flying up to Boston and then getting in a car and driving up to New Hampshire. Uh, it's going to be exciting for us, but I'm not looking forward to that test on Monday. No. Uh, we'll get some donut holes and you'll be fine. <laughs> I will get some donut holes. Uh, I'm scared because I mean, I've heard it. it feels like they're sticking a mop in the back of your neck or back of your throat when they do that. They actually go through the, the nasal passage, but it feels like they're touching your brain. Yeah, just a little tickle. That's yeah, all right. Just a little tickle. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> At any rate, so yeah, I'm glad uh, your family's doing well, our family's doing well, Um, but uh, a lot of families aren't. Uh, We continue to get word from some of our colleagues uh, about their loved ones in particular being uh, or contracting COVID, 
And uh, boy, uh, online, some of them are really um, suffering from this disease. And it's a, it's a stark reminder that this is real. Sometimes we get so caught up in our quarantine and we watch the news and we read articles about the spread of this disease. Uh, you get a little bit callous to it from the standpoint that it's happening on a screen or you're reading it on a, uh, or watching it on television. But then all of a sudden somebody, you know, uh, speaks out of anguish and pain because one of their loved ones have been contracted or has contracted the disease, and you're just quickly reminded that this thing is real. It's horrible, and nobody should suffer from it. So, uh, yeah, it's just a, a stark reminder. Well, speaking of, uh, don't know if you've seen photos of kids returning to the classrooms in Georgia and other states. Uh, but it's kind of like business as usual, um, yeah. especially in Georgia. We've seen uh, photos coming out of high schools where kids are walking down the halls. And I mean, really just acting like kids. I mean, nobody really expects them to be any different. Um, you know, it's a normal high school, uh, you know, reopening, walking through hallways uh, hundreds at a time, sometimes thousands at a time. Uh, some wearing masks, but it looks like from the photos we're seeing, about half and half maybe uh, wearing masks and some not. Uh, certainly unable to practice social distancing just because of the enormity of uh, the, the size of the classes and right. the, the hallways themselves. I mean, just, you know, it just it really is physically almost impossible to do that. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in a couple of weeks uh, if some of these students and teachers start to... Uh, being diagnosed with COVID. The most bizarre thing to me is hearing leadership say, well, we can't mandate masks. And, you know, as a person who's been 5'8 since I was in seventh grade, can I tell you they could definitely mandate my short length with a ruler <laughs> and, you know, making sure that my skirts were long enough. If they can mandate that, they can mandate masks. It's just, it's just a willingness to do it. Yeah, it is a willingness, uh, you know, and it's just, it, it's this thing has become such a political hot potato that it just really is upsetting because this should not be political. No. This is public health. This has to do with not only taking care of yourself, but taking care of others around you. And even if you don't believe it protects you from the virus, for God's sake, wear a mask to protect others from the yep. virus. And so, yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, they, those people who are saying that they can't mandate this in the classroom are just really uh, showing you know, their true selves at this point, and it can be done. And we've seen it here in Oklahoma. We've seen uh, summer camps with kids there. My, uh, one of my sons uh, worked at a summer camp uh, this, this year. Uh, and my seven-year-old attended it. Right. And he wore a mask yeah. and he was fine. And he said, they, you know, the kids were great. They wore a mask. He said, you know, they're kids every now and again. You got to remind them to, to pull it over their nose. But for the most part, they were, they were excellent. So, so yeah, we're hoping that everybody who is returning to school, uh, stays safe, but also, we just hope some of these school systems really tap the brakes to consider the ramifications of these decisions. Many are delaying the restart of school. Many are going to online, um, an alternative online approach, which I think is a good one. Some of them are doing hybrids, uh, which, you know, if that's what the community wants to do, then that seems fine. But at least they're taking precautions and trying to open schools safely. But... Uh, 
I'm just, you know, I'm still scared. Somebody's going to die from this. Uh, it's, yeah. A student's going to die from it. A teacher's going to die from it. Um, uh, you know, cafeteria staff, janitorial staff. And yeah. when that happens, it's going to be just devastating. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, because of this, because of the reopening of schools and the restart of the school year, we're going to be doing, we're going to be hosting along with Pastors for Children a series of forums beginning next Tuesday, August the 11th at 2 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Central, regarding public education and why it should be important to people of faith. Our first session next week is going to be dealing with this very topic about reopening schools during the pandemic, and then we're going to be talking about public education as a cornerstone for democracy, and then the funding of public education and revealing the Uh, lies of privatizers who think that public money should be diverted to private education, especially Mm -hmm. those who want it diverted for religious education. I even actually wrote an article about that uh, today, Thursday uh, of this week, uh, about the importance of public education, but also those individuals uh, from the Trump administration, especially Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of, thanks for the air quotes, education, (laughs) Um, uh, really using this pandemic as an opportunity to further her agenda of vouchers towards private schools. Again, diverting public money away from public education into the pockets of private organizations, some that are religious and also some that are uh, in it for money. And so, you know, it, it's just really sad and sad to see a, uh, an administration, um, secretary of education, those that want to promote this agenda of vouchers, use a pandemic to uh, leverage their agenda of promoting vouchers. It's just, it's, it's sad. It's, really it's also low. infuriating. Oh, it's horribly low. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, we're not, you know, especially here at Good Faith Media, and we'll talk to uh, Charlie Johnson and Cameron Vicker here in a second, but I want to say this. We are not anti-private education. Uh, We think somebody wants to hang out a shingle and start a private school. That is a good thing. There's one thing this world needs more of, and that is education. Mm -hmm. What we balk at is the notion of using public money to fund private education. Public money yeah. should be for the education of the public. So yeah, that's I, what I we're proponents agree. for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked before, we have a child who we're sending to private school. Sure. Um, and, but we're paying for it. You know, right. I wouldn't expect taxpayers to pay for me to send my kid to private school. Mm-hmm. And it was a hard choice because I am, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of public education. I'm a former public school teacher. That's where my heart is. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very difficult decision. And, and I do believe that if we were properly funding public schools, I wouldn't have to be making this choice to move my kid to a private school. But the school's underfunded. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, just here in the state of Oklahoma, for example, I mean, there have been millions of dollars diverted away from public education to a charter school, a private charter school by the name of Epic Charter School. And Epic is under investigation right now by OSBI uh, because 
there's no oversight uh, there, that they're able to spend that money as they see fit. Uh, they're suspect that there were ghost students that uh, they were able to apply and get funding for. Um, it's just, I mean, it, it really is scary because there is no governmental oversight. They want government money, but they don't want government to come in and say, you know, how are you, you know, account for how you're spending the government's money uh, through this. And so it's, it's yeah. just really, really heartbreaking. Again, infuriating as well. I mean, just, it is. Well, I'm at the risk of like, you know, really getting polarizing here for a minute. If people had the same sort of outcry about the defunding of public education as they do about defunding the police, mm, there you go. You might have, you know, a completely different balance of society. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely a hundred percent right. Uh, nobody, you know, I mean, only teachers and educators and parents who support public education, you know, stand up and, and try to, to, to support the, the funding, the proper, proper funding of public education. Uh, mm-hmm. But you certainly don't see this outcry that you're hearing now about defunding the police. Uh, yeah. So, well, we are looking forward to our conversation with Charlie and Cameron, and uh, you want to stay f- uh, tuned for that. And then also, uh, after, remember to go to goodfaith, uh, goodfaithmedia.org and find out more about the forums that begin next Tuesday. And there's actually a sign-up form uh, somewhere on the website, Autumn. Uh, We're going to link to it in our show notes, good. and it'll be in the comment sections um, of our social media around this podcast episode. Great. All right. Well, uh, stay tuned for our interview with Charlie and Cameron. It's coming up next. Ethics Daily and Nurturing Faith are coming together and joining forces to launch Good Faith Media. Is that not exciting? I am pumped. I'm so excited. We've been planning this and scheming and dreaming, and it's finally coming to fruition. Well, we're really excited to roll out the new website, uh, hoping that everybody will get a chance to log on to goodfaithmedia.org uh, starting July the 1st. But uh, there's also something we want to invite uh, a lot of our good friends to be a part of, and that is the Good Faith 50. So, Autumn, tell us a little bit about the Good Faith 50. The Good Faith 50 is a group of our friends who want to support us. And our goal is to grow our monthly members, so our our folks who donate to the mission of Good Faith Media, which is to provide resources and reflection at the intersection of faith and culture through an inclusive Christian lens. We want to invite the people who believe in that mission to become monthly donors. And our goal in July and August is to grow our monthly donors by 50. That is absolutely awesome. We welcome anybody who wants to be a part of the Good Faith crew in the months of July and August. And all they need to do is go to goodfaithmedia.org, hit the donate button, and then select to become part of the Good Faith 50 and a monthly donor at any level. And we would love to hear from you. And we appreciate, as always, your support. Your contribution helps us publish new articles each and every day. It also helps us uh, produce short documentaries and allows us to cover stories across the country. It helps us publish more books and provide more experiences for more people of faith. We are trying to advance a faith that is inclusive for all, providing justice for all and freedom for all. So make certain you sign up on Good Faith 50 at goodfaithmedia.org.
Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we have two very special guests with us today, Reverend Charles Foster Johnson, founder and executive director of Pastors for Texas Children. He is a wonderful minister in Fort Worth, Texas. He's been ministering for forty over 40 years now in churches in Mississippi, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Texas, as in, and is the founder and co-pastor of Bread Fellowship in Fort Worth. So, Charlie, we appreciate you joining our podcast today. And our other guest with us is Reverend Cameron Vickery, Associate Director at Pastors for Children. She is not only a minister, but a public education advocate. She lives in San Antonio, Texas with her husband, Garrett, where he is a pastor at Woodland Baptist Church in uh, San Antonio since 2012. She has a Master's of Divinity from Wake Forest University, spent a decade raising three beautiful and smart daughters. She works uh, part-time for nonprofits throughout her career and has been an advocate for public education for, for many, many years. And both Cameron and Charlie, thank you for joining Good Faith Weekly. Thanks for having us. Great being with you, Mitch. So we begin every episode during this pandemic with the the first question, and, and let's pose it to both of you. I just want to make certain that you're doing well, your families are doing well. Uh, you know, we have a mutual friend in Texas uh, that we discovered this week, uh, Reverend Farrell Foster. Uh, his daughter has been has been diagnosed with COVID. Uh, she's in ICU mm-hmm. right now, and our thoughts and prayers are certainly mm-hmm. with uh, Farrell and, and his daughter, Tabitha, yes. and their family. So, But how are you two doing? Cameron, jump in. Okay. Um, you know, we're doing fine. It's it's a hard time for everybody. Um, I feel like I'm luckier, more blessed than, than a lot of people because, you know, this is precious family time for us with our three girls and Garrett and I are fortunate to be able to work from home and have pretty flexible jobs. Um, so we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, so far we're healthy and, you know, trying to survive the summer heat. Um, and you know, I hear it's, I hear it's hot down in Texas this time of the year. It's a little bit hot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, it's daunting and anxiety causing to think about going back to school. And I'll look forward to talking a lot more about that with y'all too. Good. Charlie, how are you doing? Thanks for the question. Uh, we're really quite well. I echo a lot of what Cameron just said. Jana and I are spending a lot of time together. Uh, another nonprofit in Fort Worth gives us office space. I spend about a quarter of my time there, most of my time here at home, working from home. I'm the only one in that uh, house, by the way, even when I go to the office. Uh, and I've got good people to talk to every day, like you folks here. And, you know, we miss the in-person gatherings. Sure. I'm a preacher. Mm-hmm. I miss that. I'll have to say it's, uh, I, it, it never has mattered to me whether the congregation was two or 2000. Right. Uh, but to have that sort of, uh, uh, two way street of dynamic interchange of love and energy. I miss that. Uh, I remind myself this too shall pass. It won't last forever. And we're learning a lot on this journey. Yeah, absolutely. We are. So Charlie, for our listeners, Mitch mentioned during your introduction, Pastors for Texas Children. 
Um, so for folks who don't know what that is and its sister organizations, can you tell us why a group of ministers are interested in advocating for public education? Well, Autumn, the public school is the uh, lead institution of every neighborhood and community. It is right at the foundation. It is the gathering place for America's beautiful diversity. Uh, racial diversity, economic diversity, political diversity. It's the place where we make citizens. And so uh, we've been quoting Dr. Mike Moses, former commissioner of, of education here in Texas for years, when he says home, church, school, home, church, school, hmm. the three pillars of civil society. So seven years ago, we started Pastors for Texas Children. We now are in eight states, and we now have uh, a national umbrella that we call Pastors for Children. It really is a resonant message. We don't get uh, much debate about the imperative of public schools. It's a complex issue. We're ministers, so we're outliers. There's a lot we don't know. Educators, teachers, principals, superintendents are our mentors in this work. But uh, no, our challenge is to just get to all those church leaders. And there are a lot of churches in America. But what if we could connect every single congregation, synagogue, mosque, faith community to every single public school. Well, it would be a culture change. It'd be a revolution. And that's what we're working on. Good. Well, you know, Charlie, you've, you, you've made a, a brilliant argument about, uh, you know, being supportive of public education, why people of faith should be supportive of public education. Uh, theologically, um, what, what, inspires you through your understanding of faith, why education is central and given to us as a divine right by the Creator? What a beautiful question, Mitch. You know, I was fortunate to grow up in a family. My mama and daddy uh, took the love of neighbor very seriously. I did not grow up in religious fundamentalism, which is predicated on a hyper-individualism the way I put it is God loves everybody, but God loves me a little bit more than everybody else. Uh, I did not grow up in that. Uh, I grew up in the United Methodist and Baptist churches, and both of my churches and both of my pastors were fine leaders that took seriously the ethical imperatives of Christ. And I remember Obviously, I didn't put it that way as a boy, but I remember uh, receiving those lessons in Sunday school, uh, you know, in the United Methodist uh, theology, uh, the world is my parish, John Wesley said, a lot of emphasis on on the uh, present needs of people, not just the eschatological fulfillment of heaven in the by and by, but loving your neighbor right here in the here and now. And then I grew up in a Baptist church that had that uh, sensibility, much like our, our beloved Cooperative Baptist Fellowship does. And so I've been fortunate in that. I, I've sort of drunk deeply from, from that well. I, ha, I, I believe in the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Christ is my leader. 
I believe in the forgiveness of sin. Basically, I'm a conservative Christian. I take the creed pretty seriously. We say the creed every single Sunday at Bread Fellowship, whether we believe it or not, <laughs> we all say it. Yeah. Yeah. And we get reminded by our young adults uh, that we have lots of people that don't believe it. Sure. But, yeah. uh, you know, we still say it. And, uh, but also that it is our responsibility to bring heaven to earth, yeah. not just to bide our time yeah. until earth is done. And Cameron, as a reverend yourself, uh, and also as we alluded to in the, uh, the introduction, you've got three young children in your house right now, uh, educating them, you're an advocate for public education. How, how do you uh, instill your faith as you advocate for public education, what inspires you uh, out of your faith to be a proponent for public education? Yeah, great question. So first of all, I have to correct you that I'm not ordained. Oh, uh, I know Charlie would not want me to bother with that correction, but <laughs> um, yes, I, but that is something we've talked about. I, uh-huh. this is kind of the first real ministry context that I've worked in. And that's something that we're really thinking and praying about um, is ordination to this mm-hmm. ministry. And I do think it's a ministry. Um, well, for and, everybody who knows you, Cameron, you are revered. So we'll, we'll use it that okay. way. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, well, I just don't want to disrespect the. Sure. I know. completely understand. Yes. Um, so, you know, I think that it's a ministry because, um, I mean, school teachers, of course, are of many faiths and no faith, mm-hmm. but what they do in the classroom is a calling. And um, I think that God ordains teachers to that work. Um, it's it's so important, the work that they do with our children. And I, you know, in, in everything that we do, I, I want to uphold that and honor that and support them. Um, mm. And so that comes from a, a deep place of faith, just that support of public school and, and teachers and what they do. Um, you know, and then even just it, as a parent, I say, I would say it's a big part of um, sending your kids to, to school in general is a big step of faith. Sure. I guess. Um you know, I see and I talk to lots of parents through my work that are really afraid to let go and to send their mm-hmm. kids to public school um, or to any kind of school at all. And, you know, so any time that your precious children are in the hands of other people, um, you know, you there's that's that's really important sure. work. So yeah. um, I think that education also is kind of a really important way that kids can um, that opportunities open up for kids mm-hmm. in life. And um, as a nation, we have not done a good job of making that equitable and accessible to all children. And as Christians and people of faith, I think that's really important that we work to make sure that every child has equal access to those opportunities. And that is a perfect segue because Good Faith Media is really excited about our new partnership with Pastors for Children and that we're going to be hosting three forums beginning next Tuesday, August the 11th at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, be live streamed over Good Faith Media's Facebook Live uh, page. 
And Cameron, you're going to be the moderator uh, of these three sessions that we're going to be holding uh, about public education. We're going to be talking about restarting schools during the pandemic, public education as a cornerstone of democracy, and public school funding, and also alluding to the reality of privatization uh, Mm -hmm. a little bit in in that third session. Um, So let me ask you this, Cameron. Are you finding more and more uh, parents, educators, people of faith wanting to discuss and advocate for public education? Yes, and now more than ever. I think the pandemic has done a few things. It has really revealed the cracks in our society in all kinds of ways and how public schools hold that together um, and are really, really holding us together, um, you know, holding up families, feeding kids, um, providing that kind of care and support for the community. So um, number one, it has shown how important schools are, but um, also now with the issue of reopening schools and, you know, asking teachers and children to go back to the classroom, um, there is just sort of, I've never seen before such collective national attention on schools. I feel like the everybody is sort of holding their breath mm-hmm. and watching to see how we deal with this crisis and this situation and, you know, are, a te- are teachers essential workers, you know, um, is it better for kids to go to school and be learning and be fed and be supported or is it, and is that worth the risk of getting sick or not? I mean, it's sure. such a complex issue. And then on top of that, every parent is faced with a pretty impossible decision of whether to send their kid to school so that they can go to work or stay home with their child so that they're safe, mm-hmm. but then maybe not be able to go to work. So every single person is dealing with this, um, you know, because maybe they have a child in their life, a child or a grandchild, or they have a teacher in their life. And this, this is just, there is so much attention on this. And I think it has shown people how important schools are to our economy and our, and our whole society that yes, there's, there's a lot of attention on it. Well, we are looking forward to the discussion over the next three weeks, and we appreciate you agreeing to be moderator. It's going to be a wonderful discussion. Hope our audience not only tunes in, but uh, shares this as a resource for others uh, in their friend circle. Yeah. So as we're gearing up for, um, this question is for both of you, we're gearing up for this forum. Um, We're also sort of in parallel schools are working toward reopening Mm -hmm. and during COVID, there are a lot of question marks and not a lot of answers from leadership. So what are some of the issues that you're hearing from school officials, parents, politicians, teachers, um, even students? Charlie? Well, Cameron alluded to it, Autumn. It's uh, um, sort of an existential dilemma, isn't it? I I, I call it a Solomonic uh, uh, dilemma. Uh, it requires the wisdom of God to know what to do. We are sort of settling, although there's lots of disagreement even among our, our uh, partners, but we're settling on three things. Let's just take a, let's take a time out for the next 30 days. The virus has surged. Uh, the health and safety of children and, and teachers and staff members, bus drivers, cafeteria workers is number one. I mean, our health and safety is number one. It, it supersedes all other issues. 
gaps. Our educators are brilliant. Will there be gaps? You better believe there'll be gaps. Will there be some economic deprivation? Absolutely, there will be. Uh, can we address those? Yes. We do not have a unified federal program or anything close to it. And that is a failure of leadership. And we're not uh, shy or reticent to say that. But for the next 30 days, we need to stay at home and keep the health orders and quarantine and not put our kids. Education is highly sensate. It's physical. We hang, kids hang on each other and we hang on our teachers. Mm-hmm. And we do that at church too. So for, for, and then let's, so let's just not have in-person school for the next 30 days. And then let's have a very clear assessment at the end of that. And then the next thing is let's spend the $400 billion required to make our schools safe. Mm-hmm. That's a drop in the bu- bucket compared to the corporate bailouts and the, and the tax relief to the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that we have given our richest uh, fellow citizens. So, you know, those are the things that we're trying to redirect this conversation toward. Yeah. Charlie, you mentioned a failure in national leadership, and it seems to be um, not only a failure in national leadership, but it, it really has seemed to be they, they've pushed or kicked the can down the road, so to speak, on a federal level, but even on a state level, like here in Oklahoma, for instance, uh, there's really no state effort to help schools address a reopening plan. It's left, it's left up to the districts. And so it's almost pitting community versus community. And within those communities, citizens versus citizens, when they go to their school boards and they have these raging debates, whether they should reopen schools full or require masks or whatever the issue is. And my question or my follow-up question for you both is that we all know over the last several decades there has been a concerted effort to disavow and dismantle public education, to insert funding for private sectarian and, and also just private education in general. Do you think that there is a concerted effort leveraging this pandemic to open that door for federal funding and state funding for privatization? Well, Cameron and I both will want to weigh in on this. My answer is yes, it's very clear and it's self-confessed by some of the leaders in Washington that now is the opportunity to do what we wanted to do, which is to uh, privatize our public schools. Of course, that would be a tragic uh, mistake of epic proportions. 90% of our children attend public schools and, and any private model would only meet the needs of a small percentage of children. No, we could have done so much better. We don't want to cry over spilled milk. There's no, uh, there's no good reason to. But if four or five months ago uh, we started a concerted, intentional effort to have a unified approach, Mitch, and that includes uh, Washington leadership, state leadership, state governors, state commissioners of education, and local district superintendents. 
it's possible to have that conversation. It's possible to have it right now. These educators are brilliant people. They're collaborative by nature. They could do it now. They could probably put it together in a matter of days, but we simply do not have the will. What we have is a spirit of disruption, chaos, confusion. It is intentional, and it does have a conspiratorial and dastardly motivation to it. Cameron, you jump in here. I don't know if there's anything more I can say to that, but um, yes, I mean, I think there's there's always a will to dismantle public education, um, and I don't know the you know all the fine tuned details about all the legislation and the law, but um, you know, it seems like private schools were able to double dip in the last CARES Act and get a lot more funding per student, sometimes thousands of dollars more per student Mm -hmm. than the public schools were able to get. And that was very intentional interpretation by Secretary of Education um, and her whole team. So we yes. like to air quote education when we talk about Betsy DeVos. <laughs> on the show. It, does, it doesn't translate for radio, but uh, right. nonetheless. I we, we always say that, Secretary <laughs> of Education. I know. Never been in the classroom. Uh, it, it's a joke, yeah. for sure. Yep. So, Cameron, uh, your kids go to San Antonio ISD, or you guys live within San Antonio ISD. What... What's the issues that are being debated there? Because, you know, here in Norman, it's about, you know, whether to reopen or not reopen, go virtual, uh, go to a hybrid plan, um, masking required, not required. Um, what's what's going on in San Antonio? Yeah, well, we actually live in Northeast ISD, which mm-hmm. is um, just another large school district in San Antonio. But sure. issues are the same for sure. You know, one of our big area superintendents, um, was explaining in an interview recently that he had this really great plan as the superintendent of Northside and San Antonio ISD, both actually um, had this really great plan for reopening schools where they would only bring in the kids that absolutely needed to be there because of, you know, their parents were essential workers or mm-hmm. they had special needs or, whatever the thing was, but just a very small number of kids. Um, and then, and, and provide a robust virtual learning program for the other kids, which would be most of them. Um, you know, but the government, the Texas education agency, the governor, the attorney general of Texas, you know, they keep changing the guidelines. And so he said, he feels like every time he makes a move, like in a game of chess, the board gets wiped clean and he's got to start from scratch. And I've heard our superintendent say the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the big debate here is that schools are under so much pressure to organize all of these plans just, and they're getting, we're all getting whiplash Mm -hmm. trying to have to make new plans every time the guidelines change. Um, So, you know, here, I think, we've decided that it's going to be virtual for at least the first three to four weeks, probably the first eight weeks. Um, and that that will be fully funded. But after that, the, the issue is that if, if we don't have an in-person option, we may not get full funding for it. And that, um, so I think that's the big debate right now. And that's, that's the thing that we're trying to fight for. What a tragedy. Meanwhile, TEA is not going to be meeting other than virtually until at least January. Right. 
I know. So, so fair, right? And the Capitol is closed and the governor's <laughs> Right, mansion. right. Exactly. The democracy is uh, all over the place. And uh, Cameron mentions something uh, very cogent to this conversation, Mitch. The Iowa governor said yesterday, no funding unless you're in-person gathering <sighs> in schools. And we've just, people of faith have got to say no to that right now. Yeah. And it's got to say no to federal vouchers. The, the White House wants to divert the next COVID care bill. I think they call it the HEALS Act. Mm-hmm. On, top, on top of the money that the private schools have already gotten through the CARES Act, mm-hmm. they want to provide vouchers for private schools through the next COVID relief bill. This is a corruption. And the church has to say a loud and resolute no to it. And we've got to right now. Call our Senate members, our House members, state and federal. Call the governor's office and call the White House. It'll take about five minutes to do all those things and say, no, we believe public dollars should go to public schools. Well said. Well said. Well, one of the things that this pandemic has revealed is what an incredible difficult job our educators do day in and day out. We've talked to parent after parent about what it's like to be uh, not only a parent to their kids working from home, but also being their teacher uh, during the day as well. And the school reopening, we're here again, uh, opening up, you know, virtual classrooms and things like that. Um, You know, again, going back to this attempt to disavow, dismantle public education, there has been this misguided uh, criticism about public education that somehow public education is failing. What I think is happening, or at least what I hope is happening that this pandemic is revealing is how great our public educators really truly are and what a tremendous job they are doing. Are you guys hearing the same thing? Not enough to be honest. (laughs) Okay. Not enough. Um, yes. I mean, of course we think so. Sure. Um, And yeah, I think teachers don't get credit for how much they have had to do a complete 180 in the way that they teach since the spring. Um, They had spring break, basically, at least here, um, to figure out how to teach their kids online Mm -hmm. um, with no training for that, very little training. And to be fair, it was difficult, <laughs> but, they, but they were there working harder than ever. And I think a lot of people had this impression that the teachers were just getting sort of paid time off and getting to be at home. Mm-hmm. And that is just absolutely not the case. And I know very many of them that have spent the summer since training on virtual education mm-hmm. on their own time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are going to see a completely different model this fall. Yeah. So I'm excited. About I mean, and I've heard both of you talk about this teachers. This is a calling. They are called of God to do this kind of work. It is sacred and holy work. And Charlie, you speak to this so eloquently, but we are seeing that before our eyes as our teachers step up to educate our children in new and creative ways. Oh, it's so true. I, you know, I think we're all afraid right now. We, we were told that this virus would go away. Um, that has not happened. In fact, the opposite has happened. It is ravaging our communities. We're uh, fearful. Uh, it affects our children. We want to protect our children, but also our livelihoods. We're at a 
I think we're at a, a, a temporary moment of being seized with fear and uncertainty. I think we'll get through this several week period. I do. And come back around to that affirmation of public education and public educators that you spoke of, Mitch, and that you spoke of, Cameron. Uh, um, I, I think we'll see the necessity of the neighborhood public school uh, as an economic generator, as an educational provider, uh, as a training ground for American citizenship and character building. I think we will. I think we're in a little season now of, uh, of a lot of free-floating anxiety. Again, it, it, we are not helped mm-hmm. by our national leaders. We're not helped by our state leaders. And Mitch, I think the American people are going to have something to say about that on November 3rd. I agree. And I think they're going to go into that sacred uh, sanctuary called the voting booth and discharge their duty before God to elect people who will take care of God's common good. And education is at the center of it. Teachers are our family members, our church members. They are called by God just as much as church ministers. And voters are going to remember that on November 3rd. I hope some of them go in and use it a little bit as a confessional and change what they did in the past. <laughs> Make up for lost time. That's right. Uh, so, Autumn, always ask our last question for our guest. And so, Autumn, I'm going to let you take it away. Perfect. So, our motto at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So, in light of everything we've talked about today, Cameron and Charlie, what is your more to tell? Hmm. That's such a good tagline. First of all, <laughs> I think your um, dad may have had something to do with it. Oh, he's good at thinking those kind of things. <laughs> I can see that. Um, you know, as it relates to public education and public education advocacy, I public schools get a lot of criticism. There are a lot of people out there trying to, like we've been talking about, dismantle them at every turn, criticize teachers at every turn. Um, and I think there is a lot more to tell about Mm. our public schools and what goes on inside. And I think we need, and I would encourage everyone, if you're a part of public schools in any way, to just shout from the rooftops the positive stories and the the kind of God moments that you see in public schools. Mm. Um, Because people love to say that, you know, public schools are just these secular places. And that, that is, I guess, technically true, but that is not true. There is, there are so many holy moments and God is very present in the public schools doing some amazing things. And I think there's just a lot more to tell. Well said. Very well said. Charlie. Amen. Okay. And more to tell. You bet. Um, We have the money to support great quality, equitable public schools. The money is there. The priority is not. We've got to tell that. And we've got to explain how and why. Mitch, we spend $4 billion a year on charter schools in Texas. Mm-hmm. $4 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is about 8% of our educational budget. We, we leave tax dollars on the table and improper commercial property assessments. 
to the tune of billions and billions of dollars. And we don't have an income tax in Texas. We're a small government state. In other words, we don't have the priority. What's more to tell? Let's make public education a priority. And let's all get behind the education of all our children. Why? Because we're followers of Jesus and it's God's will that children name God's world. But if you're not a person of faith, why? Because it's in your economic interest to do so. Mm -hmm. It's in the public interest. Absolutely. Well, those are two great more to tell. And so we thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, as well as your passion. Both of you are doing God's work. And thank you for advocating for our public education, as well as our students. You're just doing fabulous, fabulous. And you'll want to make certain to tune in next Tuesday at Good Faith Media's Facebook page as we stream live our first of a series of three good faith forums on public education. Cameron is going to be our moderator, and we are really excited about uh, these next three weeks as we advocate for public education here at Good Faith Media and Pastors for Children. Thank you both for joining us at Good Faith Weekly today. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you, Mitch. And for our listeners, we want to remind you, again, thank you for listening. And as always, make certain to practice good faith.